Well, we are going to keep moving on in our series as we're, we're finishing up the book of Ephesians, but you know, we've kind of broken it in all these chunks over a three-year period of time, maybe about 45 Sundays total, um, and we're coming to the, we've come to this last section of the book of Ephesians that we call the armor of God. And, you know, this, this is a really strategic section. Paul took all this time, the first five chapters of the book of Ephesians, to talk about um, how wonderful it is to be a Christian. Just how amazing it is to be a child of God. And he used this idea of this in Christ. What it's like to be in Christ. And he just paints this incredible picture in the book of Ephesians, writing to people that, he, that, uh, that he's a pastor, had been the pastor of, he'd planted that church. He loves them. He's now off planting more churches. And he writes back to them just to remind them, this is how amazing it is to be a Christian. But then he adds this little section at the end that I've been calling an asterisk at the end of the, at the, end of the message because he says basically it's this. He says, you know, all this stuff is true and it's all God's plan and it's all available to you. But the enemy of your soul, the devil, wants to try to keep it all from happening. That he wants to, to thwart God's plans because he hates God. And um, he's going to try to ruin it. He's a, he's a schemer. We saw that. He's going, to do, he's going to lie to you. He's going to slander. He's going to scheme. With the intention of those slander, lies, and schemes, lies and schemes, whatever I just said, of lies and schemes, so lies and schemes, to primarily be this, to cause division. Because the main, the main picture in the book of Ephesians is that the church would be something that's never, that can't be accomplished anywhere else in the world. You guys might be part of really good clubs outside of church. You might be in 4-H as a kid, or you might be in Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts. You might be in, you know, whatever other clubs there could be, you know, a knitting club or whatever. And you're really good friends, and that's awesome. But here's what I know. There's limits to that, unless they're in Christ. And what the Apostle Paul has been saying in the whole book of Ephesians is that God created this awesome thing called the church. And this church is this ridiculous um, uh, expression of God's love to the whole world. He makes the church on purpose the way it is so the world can see that he's real. And they can, they can marvel at his glory. So you and I are part of God's equation to create something that radiates to the world the goodness and the glory of God. And so that's what the book of Ephesians is talking about. And now he puts this asterisk and he says, but the devil wants to stop that from happening. He wants division in the church. He wants division. What's the ultimate way he'd want division in the church? He wants division between husbands and wives and parents and children. He wants division in the church. He wants division between, between ministry leaders. He wants division between me and Pastor Wes and Pastor Mitch. And, and uh, he wants division on the worship team. He wants to divide this group up here so that when they stand here, they're not unified in love. He wants division for, between the ushers. He wants division everywhere in the church. And he'll, he'll, he'll settle for anywhere in the church. And so Paul's saying, that's the beautiful picture that God's creating, this diversity, different people functioning together in love, and the devil's going to do his best to ruin it. But what he says here in the end is he says, but don't worry about that because God has given us all that we need to stand strong against the schemes that the enemy is doing to try to cause division in our lives and division in your families and division in your own self. One of the places there's division, we talk about this regularly through this, is the lying schemes of the devil whispering in your ear about things about you, that you're no good, you're not worthy, you're, un, you know, you're unlovable. That's division within yourself. He's trying, to, he's trying to, to do all that, but God, that Paul is saying, but God's given us all we need so that we can overcome whatever the enemy throws at us. So that's what the armor of God is all about, that these are values and beliefs and attitudes that we stand upon 
that if we stand upon them, they will render the devil impotent in attacking us and causing division in ourselves, in our relationships, and in our church. So let's move on to the next section, the next one in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 15 today. So grab your Bibles, Ephesians 6, 15. And I think we should actually start up a few verses earlier. Let's start in verse 13. Kind of just so that it makes sense in the flow of what's going on. And see what ne- what's the next thing that God has given us to be able to stand strong against the lying schemes of the devil. So verse 13 says, Therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore. Having girded your loins with truth and having put on a, be- a breastplate of righteousness. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You say, well, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, I think it is, you're going to see it as a ton to do with the very real life that you live today. And as a matter of fact, i got to say, of all the parts of the armor of God, this is maybe, I don't know if you can have favorites, but this might just be my favorite because I love this part of the armor because it is so vital, and we'll explain what it is in a minute, so vital to spiritual success and it is so essential to re- being able to resist the devil's schemes. But it's something that can be so difficult to grasp because it's something that I can't achieve on my own and you can't achieve on your own. Now really, if we look at these armor of God issues, we can't achieve any of them on our own because we know they're all given to us from God so that we can stand from their gifts from God given to us or abilities from God or positions from God given to us. But some of them, what I've learned is there's some of them I can fake. I've got to make it on my own and make myself feel like I believe I'm standing firm with a certain thing in my life. But the one we're going to talk about today, I can't fake it. I can't. I can't. I know when it's right and I know when it's wrong. And, and you know this one, you know when your spouse or your children or you could know in me if it's right or if it's wrong. So in essence, that's a really good thing. That's one reason I like it because it's like a flag in my life that can realize that if this is missing, then I need to really go to God and say, I need to get it. So what is it? What is it, the it that we need to get in order to be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil? Well, look what it says in verse 15. It says, it is the gospel of peace. Another way of saying it would be the good news of peace. Now understand what it's not talking about here. It's not talking about the gospel of salvation. We'll explain in a little while that, that you could tie that in, but it's not at all what it's talking about. It's just talking about what you've been given to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. Now it's interesting, if you listen to, look at a lot of commentators who write about this, or guys who preach sermons through the series, they get to this and they preach a whole sermon about the gospel of being saved. There's nothing to do with it. It is not even remotely related. It's the good news of peace. The next piece of armor, the one he's talking about right here, is talking about peace in our lives. The good news of peace. See, church, we need to marvel at how well God knows all of us because he understands how the enemy will attack us and how we can be vulnerable to his attacks. And one of the ways we become very vulnerable to his schemes, to lie to us and to slander is for us to be in a place in our lives without peace. Having an internal disposition that is chaotic, that is unsettled, that is frenzied, 
that's lacking in peace. One of the ways that you are the most susceptible to the deception of the enemy is when you are in a position in your life when you lack peace, when you have this disposition inside of you that is chaotic. Now, we live in a world that, 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 that makes that just multiplied and breeds it. But for a child of God, what we're going to find is we can be different. And I want you to think about it this way. I want you to use your imaginations with me for a minute. Okay, some of you say you're not very imaginative. I tried to create something that anybody could imagine with me today to make this understandable. Applicable, maybe, is a better word. If you are on a three-day silent prayer retreat, so imagine, or maybe you've never been on one, so imagine it's a three-day silent prayer retreat. It's a retreat, a retreat maybe in a monastery. It's in a beautiful place. And three days of just focusing on your, atten- your attention between you and God. During that time, you're really connected with God. You feel that way. Uh, matter of fact, in silent prayer retreats, what often happens is you come in and you're frenzied, and it takes a little while to get, maybe it takes a day or two to get to a place where you actually feel connected. But you're at the end of a three-day silent prayer retreat, and, and you feel really connected with God, and, and you've been reminded over this time of His great love for you, and you are reminded that you are living deep in His kingdom, where ultimately... Um, he's in charge of everything. It doesn't matter what's going on. You just have this, this reality. You've come to terms with what's really true, that God's really in charge of everything, that there's really no lack in your life because God is your source. You're really living according to his abundance and you are looking with joy towards your future. You're in this really good emotional place. You're experiencing the peace of God. You've cast your cares upon the Lord because you know he cares for you and you're feeling his presence and you're feeling his peace. Doesn't that sound good? Should we stop right there? And just live in that for a little while? So you're there. Now, let's imagine that on your way home from that prayer retreat, you're enjoying the sunshine. Suddenly the sun's brighter than it's ever been. The trees are more beautiful. You know what I mean? When you, when you connect with God, suddenly you're like, oh, you're in awe of His creation. You're just seeing everything. You know, the lakes are bluer. The sun shines more. You're just enjoying the sunshine. You're marveling at the beauty of God's creation. And you're not watching your speedometer. Okay? And so as you're driving, enjoying the wonder of the Lord, you get pulled over by a police officer. And he gives you a ticket. Now, here's what I want you to imagine with me. How do you think, this is just for you to conclude, how do you think, you would react toward the police officer that just pulled you over, or how do you think you would respond to your spouse or your children or whomever else when you get home because you got a ticket? Will you be really kind and understanding? You were speeding after all. You know, you look down, yeah, it's a 55 and you're doing 70. I'm speeding, you know. Will you be kind and understanding or will you... Become angry and hostile. And will you turn from this wonderful presence of God to, into an instant bad mood for the rest of the day? So just think. You just come back from your prayer retreat and everything's beautiful and you're pulled over. And you know you're speeding. You get a ticket. How would you feel? Just think about that for a second. How would you feel? And I'll hold that feeling for a second. Just think about it. File it away. Because now I want to change the story a little bit to make a point. How about that instead of going to that prayer retreat, you chose instead to take your boat and spend three days fishing in God's country? 
Boulder Junction, Wisconsin, Muskie capital of the world, or whatever might be your version of that. And while you're fishing, this is a real life fishing trip, you intended to set some time aside to enjoy the Lord and his creation, but that really never happened. And if we're honest about most of our adventures like that, that's what really happens is what we intend to say, I'm going to spend some time set aside with the Lord, but never really happens. But what did happen is that some guy at the boat launch backed into your truck and it rained almost the entire time you were there, so you didn't get to fish as much as you wanted to. And you forgot to unplug your boat trailer when you backed into the water and it blew the lights out of your boat trailer. And now you're driving home on the exact same sunny day through the exact same beautiful creation of God and you're in a hurry because you need to get home, put your boat away, fix your lights, clean the couple of fish that you have, all before you can go to bed, it's going to be late, and you can get up early and go to work in the morning. Okay? So you're speeding on the way home, and you get stopped by a police officer, and you're given a ticket. Now think about something. In that situation, how do you think you would respond to the police officer when he gives you a ticket? What would your attitude be like toward him? How you respond to your spouse and your kids or your whomever else, when you get home to your neighbors, will you be kind and loving or you and say, well, I was speeding after all? Or will you be more likely to blow a fuse because the ticket um, you know, was given to you and it was maybe the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back? One more thing on this weekend. So think about that. How would you react if the same thing happened to you coming home from a prairie retreat? How would you act if it happened coming back from a, a normal fishing trip? That's normal. That's not abnormal. Some guy backing in your truck and blowing your food. That, that, something like that's always going to happen. Here's my assumption. I'm basing this on living a real life. We would much more likely be loving and kind in the context, in the exact same context, the same encounter with the police, if we were coming home from the prayer retreat than if we were coming home from the fishing trip. Right? Do you imagine in your life that's true? I think it is. I see heads nodding. Yes, I believe it is. So the question is why? Why is that true? Same speed, same life, same vehicle you're driving, same beauty. Why? Peace. Either you have it or you don't. Being in a place or an attitude of peace, here's the key, allows you to act instead of react. That's the difference. Much of our lives is based on reaction living. Being at peace allows us to act instead of react. The reason we blow our top in a situation is because we are reacting. None of us, if we actually step back and look at a situation, say, I'm going to choose to lose my temper and scream at my children. If that's your, your, your position, you probably need some help. Some parenting classes or some, some marriage classes. We blow our top in a situation because we are reacting. Generally without putting things into perspective. Perspective. Seeing the situation from reality. 
seeing the situation from the perspective that because I'm in Christ, no matter what happens, I'm okay. And I will be okay no matter what because I'm secure in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, boats don't really matter and speeding tickets don't really matter because I'm living deep in the kingdom of God and God's going to provide for me and God's going to take care of me. Being in a place of or an attitude of peace allows me to act, to be in a situation, to evaluate a situation, to put it into its proper eternal perspective, then do what I know is the right thing to do. The position of peace allows me to act properly instead of reacting improperly. Now, let's think of this in terms of spiritual warfare. In warfare, the devil is lying to you and slandering. Either you to yourself, you know, you're no good, you're worthless, you deserve to be abused, you, um, you know, you're, you're, you're no good, you, being mistreated is what you deserve. He's lying to you about you. Or he's lying about others to you. You know, Jane is such a jerk. Jane should never talk, I'm never going to talk to Jane again. What Jane did is unforgivable. And there's this little voice, this critical voice in your head. That's going on. That's the devil. If you are in a place of peace, you are more likely, think of this, if you're in a place of peace, are you more likely or less likely to entertain the lies and the slanders of the enemy through that little voice? If you're in a place of peace, Are you more likely or less likely to entertain those lies to you about you or you about other people? I'm telling you, you're much less likely to entertain the lies of the enemy. If you are in a place of peace, you are much more likely to recognize that the slanderous thoughts that you are having are actually from the devil and then much more likely to bring those thoughts captive in Christ, renounce them, and then maybe even pray a blessing over Jane or whomever your Jane might be. Being in a place of peace allows us to recognize the schemes of the devil because we can act instead of reacting. We have perspective. That is why it is part of the armor of God. To be experiencing the peace of God in our lives closes the door that Satan will use to scheme in our lives to get us to react inappropriately. So peace closes the doors to the devil. Does that make sense what I'm saying? If you live at peace, you can choose to react, to act instead of react. This is how peace is a weapon of our spiritual warfare. Now, this ought to bring us to an important question. If this is true, then how do I live in a place or with an attitude of peace? Well, Paul gives us some insight into it in the verse we read in verse 15. Look at verse 15 with me. Notice, you know, God doesn't waste words. He put this in here on purpose, the way he wrote things. Look at what it says here. And I know we talk about shodding your feet. What's that mean? It means put on, on your feet, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So he, listen, let's remember he's writing here. Who he's writing to, because this makes a difference. What's that mean? Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He's writing to Christian people here. People who have already found peace with Christ. Matter of fact, they were one time separated with, from God and now they have peace 
with God through salvation. They have recognized their need for a Savior. They've turned to Jesus as their friend and their forgiver. And so this isn't talking about salvation, finding preparation of the gospel of peace. To these people, he says, you are to, what's he say? You are to prepare the preparation. You are to prepare the gospel of peace in your life. He is saying that we are to live in the peace that God offers to his children. If we're going to do that, it takes some preparation. It takes some planning and some action. Now, most of us can't live on a perpetual silent prayer retreat. Most of you wouldn't want to. I'd explode if I lived on a perpetual silent prayer retreat. But most of us can't even live in that, that kind of retreat environment. We're not monks in a monastery. We have jobs to do. We have families to interact with. We have obligations that must be met. But here's what I know about this. We can, through planning and action, structure our lives in such a way that we cultivate the peace of God in our lives. And I think the main way that we work towards this, what's worked the best for me is I'm trying to work towards it more, is by working toward living unhurried lives. Now listen to what I didn't say. I didn't say lives that are not busy. A lot of times we don't have much of an option on on a lot of the things that make our lives busy. Rather, we have lives that are unhurried, which is more about creating margin in our lives so that we have times where we have mental free space, where we can regularly and continually get grounded and regrounded with Jesus, where we literally plan our lives and make our decisions based upon creating enough free space so that we can use the time and energy that we do have to get connected and stay connected with the reality of the ever-present, risen Savior that's in my life and in your life. See, spiritual warfare in this case is more about your daily calendar than it is about binding demons. It's more about what what we say yes and no to, than it is about tearing down strongholds. Living in the peace of God for the Christian has a lot to do with structuring your life around honestly being with God because peace comes in His presence. So this includes saying no to some things that will keep me from honestly having, giving the time to open up my heart and my life to that available presence of God. And it also includes living my life for the purpose that the main reason I get out of bed in the morning is not to do my job. It's not to make a buck. It's not to even to take care of children. It's not to be a, best, a good husband. The main reason I get out of bed in the morning is for the purpose of being with God. So that in whatever I do, I'm trying to see God in that moment, in the person I'm interacting with, or in the provision that he has been making for me. The peace of God is a result of living in an awareness of his presence because he is the prince of peace. So spiritual warfare is as practical as structuring your life so that you honestly are living in an awareness of his ever presence that's always with us. What I've found. For me to do this, 
I have to say no to some things. Now, here's the deal. There's a bunch of things I can't say no to. I can't say no to doing my job. I can't say no to changing the oil in a car, although I can say, I'd say no by taking it to a garage. I can make some choices like that. I can't say no to cutting my lawn. I can't say no to spending time with my wife. There's a lot of things we can't say no to. Dave, you can't say no to picking corn this year. Okay? You can't say no to that. If you do, you're in a lot of trouble. There's some things you can't say no to. You know, I, but what I do know is I can't stuff activity into every spare moment that my calendar allows. And as Americans, we're masters at that. We stuff something activity that is not really an essential into every spare. It can have to do with what, what club, we talk about clubs earlier, what clubs or groups you belong to. What clubs or groups you allow your kids to belong to? Can I give you a newsflash, parents, are you raising your kids? Your kids are, are not going to not get into college because you don't have them in 13 different activities at school. Sorry, it's a lie. It's not true. Your kids are going to get to college no matter what. You don't, they don't have to be in all that stuff. Matter of fact, that stuff can just fill every ounce of free space for them and for you so that you never have time for God. I can't stuff activity into every spare moment of my life that my calendar allows and expect to be aware and function in the presence of God. Even good or fun things. I use fishing on purpose because I can say when I point the finger, there's three more pointing back. I love to fish. I got a really nice boat. Guess what? I really didn't have time to have it out in the water in six weeks. That's okay. It's okay. Even though it's a good activity, it's a fun activity. I can't, I can't always allow myself to be distracted from the reality that my main purpose is being with God in my life. What I found I need to do to have peace, the first thing I need to, have to do to have peace, is I need to structure some time of just sitting in silence with the Lord every morning of my life. So every morning, almost every morning, that I know that I need Sure, I'm going to read my Bible, and do some, but I've got to just sit in silence and try to be aware of the presence of God for like, like 15 minutes. And just say, God, I'm just going to sit here with you. I'm not going to let my mind wander. If my, my mind wanders, things come in, I'm just going to let them go. Okay, God, I just want to be aware of your presence. And I'm trying to understand, God, you're in this moment. Help me to experience you. For me, I found if I don't do that, I never experience the peace of God. Matter of fact, before I preach this morning, so Suzanne and I got up at 5.30 this morning. We were here a couple minutes after 6. You know, we got stuff doing. We had people working here this week, so we had to make sure TVs that were that we had redone were working and different stuff, got stuff going, you know. And um, so that means got up, took showers, came to church. But what did I do after I got here? I went to my office, and I closed the door, and I sit in silence. You say, well, shouldn't you have been reading the Bible? No. I need to be aware of the presence of God. So I sit in silence. Suzanne does the same thing every Sunday morning before. So even on a day where you're saying it's busy, guess what? We show up 30 minutes early so we can take time to do that in the midst of it. Think of this. Why do you think our kids have such wonderful spiritual highs at camp and we do at retreats? Why do you think that is? matter of fact, we've got a group of our youngest kids heading to camp tomorrow morning. Pray for me Friday. I've got to go pick them up and drive them home. And so, it's going to be grandpa practice. <laughs> Why do you think our kids have such spiritual highs at camp 
and we have those same spiritual highs on retreats. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not because the speakers are so great. I've listened to a lot of them. They're not. Your pastors in your churches are better speakers than most of the guys who go to camp. They preach the same three messages over and over. Um, so it's not the speakers at the camps. It's not the worship. We have extraordinary worship here. And, and other churches have extraordinary worship. It's not, it's not that that's all better. It's not that the facilities are better. Matter of fact, the camp facilities are worse. You slept on a brick-like bed, got eaten by mosquitoes, and had crummy food. So why do we experience such wonderful highs? Why do our men work at creating a three-day silent prayer retreat at St. Norbert's Abbey that you should go to? It's coming up. Why do we have spiritual highs there? It's because our calendars during those times are structured around being aware of the presence of God. That's the whole reason. It's not rocket science. That's the whole reason. In His presence is peace. And so you feel the peace of God because that's what you put in your life. And you feel peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding because you're aware of the presence of God. Now here's the reality. We don't need to constantly run to retreats to experience that peace. No, retreats are great. I go on, I'm signed up for a three-day silent prayer retreat coming up in October or November. This is one for pastors. It's during the week. So I can be here on a weekend. And Suzanne's going to be at it. And Wes is going to be at it. Mitch is going to be at it. Um, so we don't need to run to retreat, although they're nice. We need to prepare, he says, to plan and take action to build margin into our lives that we then fill on purpose. Because if you create margin, creating margin is making a, making a vacuum in your life. What happens with vacuum? Things fill a vacuum. So when you create margin, you then need to on purpose fill it with the right thing. Because if you don't on purpose fill it with the right thing, it'll get filled with something else. It'll get filled with watching that show you just had to see on TV that didn't bring anything positive to your life. Or writing thank you cards for the whatever. Or whatever it might be. But you need to fill it with just being with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So peace, friends, isn't the absence of conflict. Sometimes we think, oh, I can't have peace because I have conflict in my life. You will always have conflict in your life. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. The spiritual battle's never going to stop. It's always going to continue. Always. The world is placed... The Scriptures say, in this world you will have troubles. Right? Conflict is just part of life. But peace is found in Jesus' presence. So spiritual warfare is preparing or structuring our lives around being in the presence of God, being aware of the presence of God. So, in a moment we're going to close in prayer. We're going to close with some worship songs. And this is what I think would be a good thing to do during this time for each of us. Bring your calendar, your commitments before the Lord. Now, I'm not saying actually get your calendar, although you could if you wanted, but I'm saying bring your calendar in your mind before the Lord, just for this coming week. And I'm going to make it smaller than that. Determine when and how you are going to structure some alone time just with the Lord just today and tomorrow. And the reason I'm saying today and tomorrow is today's Sunday. 
Most people today we say is the Lord's Day. It's a tragedy in America when we say we can't even find time to be alone with God on the Lord's Day because we fill it with so many other things. We were at a conference last week, and the conference went uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Sunday was odd for us. It started late on Sunday, but it was Sunday, so we weren't in church on Sunday morning. You know, which is a, We're never not in church on a Sunday morning. And so we went out to breakfast, because we had to eat breakfast before we went to the conference, and I said, there's a whole world on a Sunday that we never knew existed. We're like, there's a Sunday world that existed out there. Here's the deal. We have a culture that you can fill, you can even do your Sunday duty and then never really spend a time, one minute with God during the whole day. So for just today and tomorrow, what I want you to do, why? Today is Sunday. If there's any day we ought to be able to find some time, just take some time just to sit and try to be aware of the presence of the Lord. And then tomorrow, the reason tomorrow is important is most of us work a Monday through Friday schedule. Now I know it's a lot of you medical work and that kind of stuff and shift work, you don't do that. But most of us, Tomorrow morning, you hit the ground running at work. And if you can do it today, and you can do it tomorrow, then you can do it the day after the day after the day after the day after the day after. So don't worry. You know, there's what people do. When they look at something like that says, how do I structure my life differently? They get all freaked out. How do I change my whole life? You don't change your whole life. Just change today. And just change tomorrow. And so, just think about as we're ending our time together, how could you, how could you free up some space by generally saying no to something that's probably fun, but unessential, to get something better, where you can experience the presence of God, because the outcome is going to be peace. The reason people run up north all the time, they go to the lake for three days of fishing, and they belong to all the things they do, really, is they're trying to find peace. They're just finding finding it the wrong way. It doesn't work. So the way we find it, as we spend time in the presence of the Lord. So just think today, how can you carve out some time today and tomorrow to just be with Jesus? And then maybe if you want, think about how could you extend that out for the rest of your life. Let me end with this thought. And I think it's one of the most important key thoughts in a successful life. The key to having the life you want is placing the most important elements of your life in your life first. And then placing the other things around them as time and energy allows. So we usually do it the opposite. We put urgent things in place, and then we say, how am I going to fit in the important? And I'm saying this, you put the most important things in place. And then you put whatever else will fit in the cup. And if something doesn't fit, just let it fall aside. And so the most important thing, according to the Lord, is being with Him. And so today as we close, let's just allow the Spirit to show us how could we spend some time with Him today and tomorrow. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank You for being amazing to us. Lord, You've touched us today. You've challenged us today already. It's, it's just the morning, Sunday morning. And we've been blessed by your presence. We're blessed by a, by a great church family that loves one another. And we're so appreciative of that. And Lord, I would ask you, as, as we've been going through this section of Ephesians on the, on the armor of God, we come to things like this that are just really practical. Lord, help us 
to implement this stuff into our lives. Lord, you know that the cry of the world is it's strong and it's loud. And this kind of this false idea that life is better if you just have fun all the time, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a lie. It's not really true because there's all kinds of people who have fun all the time and they're really not happy at all. But the real reality is, Lord, Lord, that in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore and that in your presence is peace. And God, that's our prayer today. That we would just be people who live in peace because we live with you. And so, Lord, we hand our lives, our schedules over to you. You say, let us do some honest evaluation so that we can put the most important things in our lives first. We trust you to help us with that, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Spend a few minutes just sitting with the Lord as the worship team plays. Spend a few minutes worshiping. When you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, make your way out of the sanctuary and have a wonderful day of peace with Jesus.